It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Isaac. Listen in as I discuss the 1979 film Phantasm. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and, and those in between. As Isaac always uh, says there, we've, we've come to the end of our Halloween journey for this year as we arrive at... I don't know, I, I can't tell if this, is a, if this is a well-known horror movie these days. I feel like I'm in too much of a horror bubble, but I tried to pick one that had a little bit more no- notoriety for us, and the one that kept calling me back was this, Phantasm. As I'm sure you guys have noticed from our output for the Halloween stuff this year... And I, every now and again, I try to throw in a couple horror classics, ones that I've been wanting to talk about for years. Uh, but yeah, we didn't get too many classics this year. Uh, some fun stuff, definitely, and some stuff that maybe should be revisited or seen more. Uh, but nothing that maybe would uh, reach a more more common view for, for horror fans. So, so I tried to throw out one for us here. And I'll say for Phantasm, when I first saw this, it was well-known among its cult horror fan community. This was around maybe 2008, 2009, something like that. Maybe 2010, actually, maybe is when I saw it. And I found out about this due to uh, the Cool Duder YouTube channel. Back around that time was when I first started collecting uh, DVDs or Blu-rays, and I was always watching his horror videos to try to make lists of horror movies to check out. And I actually still even have that same book that I used, this, this red uh, notebook. And yeah, this was one of the first ones that I got. It would have been the, maybe my first 20 DVDs. This was one of the first, and I was I was so excited. I'm, I'm sure you remember this place, Isaac. It was that old HMV down in Vancouver, the two-level one. Yep. No, that uh, definitely brings back some memories, and uh, definitely rings a bell. Didn't go to that one often, but I do remember the one you're talking about. Yeah, they had a gigantic horror section, which was awesome. And I picked up this and the Michael Doherty Trick or Treat on the same day. I picked that up on Blu-ray and this on DVD. I've loved it ever since, and for you, Isaac, I'm sure this is your first time coming to this movie. Uh, did you know much coming in? Well, I, what I mostly know it from, well, I, I, I'll give, actually turn the mic back over to you with the talking stick, uh, because you, like you said, yeah, you've had the history of this. You've, you've given me the rundown of, of what this was and how this also kind of came to be, so take it away. Ah, uh, in, in which way do you mean? So I yeah, par- pardon me, I apologize. So what I mean is the remaster uh, of this. There was a, there, oh. there's a there's a significant thing about the remaster of this and the edition that we're all probably watching right now. We're not doing commentary, but just like the one that we're probably watching on the background, um, because there's a certain company that comes up uh, in the in the start of this movie uh, that didn't exist in 1979. Oh yeah, that's interesting. I'm watching my old DVD today actually, 
Anchor Bay DVD. <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, so I'm watching it on Tubi right now, for the record, uh, mm. in the background as we talk about this. But I'm referring to the Bad Robot uh, logo. This is uh, this is what I'm referring to. Yeah, no, I guess that's a fair pl- place to start, because I think that's around the time that the tide started to turn for this movie. Um, I feel like maybe the first time that it really reached a bigger mainstream audience was, yeah, all this, the lead up to The Force Awakens, and there was all a buzz. You could see it all over the place, and about, oh, not only is J.J. Abrams got this character named Phasma that he's apparently, you know, was inspired by this this odd 70s a horror movie he, he he named the character after that but all of a sudden he's out there helping the the director get the studio time to remaster and put out a blu-ray hd version of his uh of his movie and yeah i, I definitely saw it making the rounds around that time more and seeing fans of it come out and be super excited about the, the coming blu-ray and it was even i think around that same time that don coscarelli started talking about trying to get funding for a fifth film which he eventually did get and, and made Ravager, which is not all that great. But <laughs> spoilers, hang on, say that for a while for later. <laughs> sure, but so yeah, it, it definitely had its little spotlight there back in 2015, and that may have been when we started talking about it a little bit around that time. Yeah, you 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 mentioned it to me. Uh, so I was, I don't want to, I, I definitely don't want to say you hyped me up to this, uh, but you definitely had some reverence for for that and. You really liked it, and unfortunately, my mind takes that literally and is like, "Oh, so that means that you know, so I have similar sensibilities to him." Most of the time, I'm gonna also find this, you know, film really good uh, to watch. But you know, Caleb, I think you've spoiled me these last few years. You've you've really opened my eyes up to you know what horror can be and shown me different horror films. Mm-hmm. And this thing screams like a Jello to me, but it's well, obviously it's not a Jello film. But like, yeah. it, it remi- it, I could not help but think back to the other, you know, Italian horror films of the seventies, and be like, oh, I kind of am like hoping I could see these weird plots where nothing. Well, it kind of has that where like this film, yeah. you don't really know what's. There's a general sense of what may be going on. It's like a haunted house, or in this case, a haunted like uh, mortuary, or I guess. Uh, cemetery instead, uh, which we don't. Yeah, well, it's, it's not standard. Thankfully, it's got some images too. But I was like, I was thinking like it'd be a lot more like weird. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I was curious coming in because sometimes I forget the sensitivity that some people might have to more seventies low budget stuff. Every now and again, this comes up with Eric, where I'll throw something at him and it'll be like, oh, I was not expecting something this like low budget and just kind of out of nowhere. And so I was, I was vaguely curious if you might have an issue with that coming in uh i think i need to watch it again i think i need to wa- rewatch it again not just i'm not talking like right now as i'm watching it but uh, <laughs> i think i think i'll get into it but because there was stuff that i definitely liked about the film uh i think it's more or less i was i was expecting more when it came to like over the top stuff i mean maybe that's not fair that's a bit, that's a bit subjective i i fully admit that uh it's just the stuff that we have been talking about and we have watched previously uh on the for the channel uh, has been like you know really like some something very eye catching something very like oh man that's that's really cool to look at, but in, in definitely in the, at least at, at first glance I was like oh I was kind of like not let down fully but I was expecting more like I said yeah yeah I think part of the surprise with me coming into this is at that time I was watching a lot of low budget cheap horror crap 
And a lot of it was crap, but I was still like, okay, I'm happy to watch it. I just like watching horror movies. I'll take whatever. And I knew coming into this, this is another low-budget horror uh, piece. And so maybe I had my expectations set a little bit, you know, more for that kind of stuff. And I still think every time I go back to it, I, I still just love what I get, and I feel like I get more out of it every time I see it. But I, I could see coming in if you were expecting something more extravagant, that, yeah, it could uh, not quite meet that, that level. I won't even say this is uh, underwhelming or this is like completely cheap. No, this is this feels professionally made. This doesn't feel like it's cheap. Um, it's just like you know, I, I have to unfortunately compare it to. I shouldn't, uh, but it just it definitely reminds me of the other Italian horror films you've been showing me, and I'm like, oh, I, I can't help but be uh, kind of um, bringing over those those expectations that I had for those and with this. Yeah, and, and Don Coscarelli, the director, he was only 24 at the time, 23 when he started thinking about making a horror movie, and he had definitely been hugely inspired by Suspiria in terms of uh, the script and some of the... Well, that makes sense. Yeah, the dream logic element. Yeah, so he was he was also looking at the Italian stuff and wanting to emulate that on a very low budget. This was only, I think, $300,000, and it was mainly just finance from his dad and a couple doctors and lawyers in his town. Man, alive. Is it Oregon, by the way? Because uh, I looked at one of their license plates and it said Oregon on it. I think so. I'm not 100% sure about that. But yeah, I think so. Okay. It's just uh, the... Uh, is it a Stang that uh, Jody drives? Oh, Barracuda. A Hemi Barracuda. That a very beautiful car. Looks so sexy. Holy crap. That's like one of my favorite things in this movie. Yeah, and apparently Don Coscarelli had wanted the car for a long time, and it was kind of an excuse to, to buy the car. Oh, of course. Movie. And it was his car for decades after this, too. Oh, dude, <laughs> I'm so jealous. Sorry, Lord, I'm committing a yeah. sin because uh, I'm coveting what that guy has. Holy <laughs> that thing was sexy. Anyway, sorry. Um, yeah, and I'm, it is nice for you to say it, it looked like a professional uh, production because it was very low budget. They shot over a year just like on the weekends whenever they could get, you know, a script, next part of the script written or secure financing for the next shoot. So it was stapled together type of production. There was a few things that may have seemed like it was uh, a little bit more um, not fully funded. Uh, n- nothing on the, the actors. Like I remember some of the uh, female actors, they, they kind of didn't seem like they definitely didn't seem like they knew a lot about or they, they were no. professional actors not professional but they they weren't <laughs> um uh, but they, they were experienced there we go so that's what it is not great just not experienced uh you know i think you know the scene i'm referring to uh so it's like yeah i could i could definitely see that but maybe i think another problem is that with because i'm watching on tubi this thing looks amazing holy smokes this is a like i, I was it released on 4k or was it on uh 2k uh, 2K, I believe. I I think it was just, yeah, Blu-ray that they put out. This yeah. thing is really good to look at. Holy smokes. Like, I'm, I'm de- like, this is very colorful. It's not popping out like Suspiria is, but, oh boy, am I, am I really happy with uh, the way this thing looks. Yeah, and I'm back to watching my original DVD, and, yeah, having seen the HD copy, it's, it's a very stark difference. <laughs> uh, not, not quite like Suspiria, since you're mentioning that. When I watched the Blu-ray of that, it was. It felt like I'd never seen the film before. It was like I'd been watching, like an old black black and white washed out version, even though I wasn't. 
the, the, the difference was just so amazingly stark. That's not quite the same here, but yeah, definitely a huge improvement. But as as you're saying that, though, as, as you're informing me with all this information, again, I went into this intentionally not looking stuff up because I wanted to be educated by my friend here uh, to to tell me all this stuff. Having said that, this is like Don Castorelli's, am I saying that correctly? Uh, Coscarelli. Coscarelli, thank you. Pardon me. Um, having heard that this is his first film, like 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 he made nothing else beforehand, eh? No, he he did, but they were equally as just slap together stuff he actually okay. when he made his first film he was the youngest uh, director to get his film distributed nationally at 19 interesting okay fair enough that's really good glad to hear on that uh visionary anyway but yeah no this is this is amazing this is like for a guy at 24 like i can't fucking compare my like i know <laughs> i was you know i fucking 24 passed already and i didn't make a film I didn't have the balls to, you know, come up with something like that. That guy obviously had the cojones and maybe the industry was a lot different back then. I don't know. Maybe I'm just wrong on that, but man alive, like, you know, he's, this, this, this is like pretty impressive for it. Yeah. And one of the things, cause this was actually one of the early films that really pulled me into surrealism, even though I, I feel like going back to it, it's more surrealist in style rather than in substance. Uh, there's some substance there, but I was just so captured by the the dreamlike quality of it when I first saw it, and yeah, I'm curious how that uh, relates to you with with how they. Well, you definitely say dreamlike because, yeah. <laughs> so maybe we should uh, give a quick brief synopsis of uh, the the story. Well, air quotes the story here for the audience. Yeah, a little bit of a confusing story, but we have these these two brothers. It's a, a type of story that I feel like we don't actually get all that often. Kind of a you know, strong bonds between brothers. Uh, their parents have recently died, and now one of uh, the brother's best friends died. And it's yeah, kind of a, a story about people confronting grief and, and moving on from the grief and each other because Jody's like, oh, I've been taking care of him for a while, but now, you know, Mike Lee's turned 13, uh, so I'm just going to leave him with his aunt and, you know, try to restart my life, basically. And... I, I do like all the bits with Michael just like following him around because he can sense that he's planning to leave and he's like stalking him. And while he's stalking him, he starts noticing there's some weird stuff going on around this this cemetery. There's this this tall man who seems unnaturally uh, powerful and these creepy little Jawa-looking dwarves running around. And as they explore that, yeah, we discover some dark secrets at the the, the heart of this funeral home, which I'm sure we'll jump into as we go along. Thank you for that summary there, sir. Now we may proceed. Where do you, would you like to start? Even though I guess we've been starting already. Yeah, one of the first places I want to start is just... Well, I, I guess I'll go right to one of my... The things that always calls me back to this movie and something that just has never really left me since the first time I saw it, and that's this score. I feel like it is so so great at setting the, the mood for it. I think it itself has this kind of dreamy quality to it. And all these early scenes as we're seeing the uh, the backstory between these two brothers and kind of where they are at the start of this story. Just having that score there, I feel like, immediately carries me into it every time. This, man, this is different than, obviously, what Goblin was doing. Because uh, it's not very, there's, there's obviously some synthesizers, but it's not the same as, you know, what Goblin obviously nothing is. But I'm, I'm definitely feeling the score. 
Uh, it was definitely recognizable. I was, it was a little bit groovy or whatnot. And especially I'm looking at like, you know, the two, uh, Jody and his friend, um, Reggie, I guess, uh, just on the porch and just, you know, strumming their instruments. And I'm like, holy smokes. Like I was not expecting like a, a jingle to be, uh, playing right now. Like there's, I just love how Reggie just shows up, brings out his guitar and then starts playing. It's like, really? You're not going to tune? Like, what the heck? By the way, I, I always love that. And that, that's one of the things I really enjoy about kind of low-budget stuff is they're always looking for ways to just just stand out and have some sort of memorability to them. And so they'll just play around and do something like this where they'll just throw that in there for just because the, the two guys enjoy jamming together, the two actors. It's like, oh, let's just put in the movie for just, you know, for a few seconds in there. <laughs> I think it's a fun little tune that they play. I, I always enjoyed that little bit. Yep. And also, of course, Chekhov's gun, I suppose, or Chekhov's tuning fork. Yes, supposedly, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of uh, what they can to tie that little bit together. Quite so. Um, but, yeah, no, the score, again, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I agree. Like, the score is memorable. Um, is it? A, have you bought it uh, as a CD or online somewhere? I've never seen it on, I've never seen a, a CD of it. Although I did look for quite a while. Uh, I used to go and check the HMVs actually as well. <laughs> Looking in the, the soundtrack section. Smart. No, I never found it. But I did uh, just download the music for it. So I listened to that a lot. That's good. No, that's definitely something that I'm probably going to search out for. Yeah, and I I don't know. I, I never really had the, the older sibling. I guess you didn't really have it either since you were the older sibling too. I'm, I'm the firstborn, so I have no choice. <laughs> Yeah, but the the element of him, you know, falling around his older brother, so, something about that felt like it would have some resonance for me if I had a older sibling. But I, I do feel like these stories about brothers, I just I feel like I don't see that very often for whatever reason. I mean, you do have an older sibling, but this is like older sibling, like the the age gap between Jody yeah. and, and Michael uh, is pretty significant. Michael or Jody seems to be uh, an adult, maybe like in his. 20s maybe close to 30 but uh michael he he's he's in his like teens he's he's a teenager yeah yeah teenager in the 70s so because i mean 13 now i mean you think about what rights 13 year olds now have compared to this kid who has just free free roam he's got a motorcycle he rides around you know he's got free access to, to hunting knives and shotguns, handguns. <laughs> yeah, no, this, this story really works. Uh, this, this could only almost be told uh, in something rural, like if it was in Oregon or in the Midwest, potentially, if this was in like LA or New York or any other major metropolitan city, it would not fit at all. Yeah. Even in the seventies, I think it would be a stretch. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, in New York, a kid having a gun, I'm not, I'm not saying they wouldn't, but people would be having their heads turned. They'd be like, what the flip? And also because of the nature of it being lower budget and uh, not having a lot of like people in the background, which I also, I, I definitely like that. Uh, it just means that, yeah, there's not a lot of like talking heads that they can uh, point, turn to and be like, Hey, why does he have a gun? Yeah. I think the fact that there's so few people around the town gives it this weird isolating effect, which again, kind of fits into the dream. Like it's only, it's only these people that really exist in this world here. Uh, and just in terms of, fitting into that kind of dreamscape. Of yeah, of course. Enter this, this, this story. Yeah. Which again, I, I will say, I think I said a similar thing with Suspiria. I don't, as a story, I don't know how well this thing actually works. I don't know if it really is a real story. 
like so much of it I think is just up for your interpretation intentionally so so there's lots of lapses in just reality that I just give it a pass for because this is a clear atmosphere piece yeah it's a lot more abstract it's a lot more uh feeding into your emotions of like how you feel and if you're okay or not yeah but like just yeah the mood you're in uh piece it, it uh, f- funny enough though yeah you, uh, of course it doesn't have it even though we're doing this on halloween uh it's <laughs> i wouldn't say this is a halloween piece but obviously it's got you know horror elements to it and it's, not all horror is on set on halloween and not all halloween films are horror films <laughs> Yeah, and just as a little side trail, when you were a little kid on the Halloweens, I guess I don't know what, what cable channels you had access to or what VHS you had, but I would always, all year round, I, I couldn't wait for Halloween because they would always have these these giant horror marathons all month long, but especially Halloween day. And I, I just could not wait to sit down and just just bathe in all the horror that I could. You You not being a huge horror fan, especially when you're younger. Did you have a similar anticipation or participation in those kind of horror marathons? Or it's definitely uh, a good thing they had. At least I don't know if they have them now back then, but or nowadays. But back then it was, it was smart. But maybe not the full thing. But uh, I don't know if I was looking forward to it. But I was definitely anticipating, or at least I knew. Okay, this is it's Halloween. That means like and, and like YTV especially they would put on this whole like the, for the whole month. It was it was a build up to Halloween. Like you know, like you said, they had this. All, all, all these marathons with horror films uh, in them to, to scare the pants off of people, right? Uh, so what how what YTV would do, given that you know it's for youth TV, uh, they would obviously either be playing reels or they'd be playing Halloween themed episodes, and probably on Halloween mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. the, the lead up to, because uh, that's what all, obviously that's kind of a standard trope in that like you know American kids cartoons, it would have the the Halloween episode if it was a recurring one. So it's like yeah, you know, I'd be building up to that. Um, and I don't know if they were showing movies back then on YTV. I'd have to check, but uh, you know, other stations probably were doing as well. And there were uh, other things I was watching that was Halloween themed, so it was definitely in the air. But uh, again, I was the, the literal kid who did not watch, you know, these horror rated uh, 18A up here at least uh, movies or 14A <laughs> films. I wasn't doing that. There's that was not happening in this household of mine. So it's like I would not been have been able to see it. This guy, this guy's a free. This guy's way more of a free spirit than I was. Yeah, and I always I always liked when the horror movies had kids at the center of them. I just feel like that worked for me. Uh, the later Halloween sequels, when we got this this kid Jamie as the lead, I liked that. Um, but also like uh, Poltergeist or The Gate. So so I kind of wish I would have seen this as a kid because I feel like I would have gotten uh, Michael's Journey a lot a lot back then. I, I feel like this is the tone and atmosphere that Stranger Things season one was probably trying to go for, and maybe I don't know. I didn't watch it, but uh, <laughs> I feel like that's what they were really trying to aim for. And I guess like that first season succeeded, so I guess they you know they they did it. They congratulations, guys! You you kind of got it, but I <laughs> I like this one more just because it's it feels authentic and it is seventies and. Funny, I don't, wanna, I don't know if I, would, if I should say this or not, but this kind of reminds me of either a piece or, or like kind of a this this idea, this project I've been trying to come up for the last almost fifteen to near twenty years, um, set also during Halloween. So it's like watching Phantasm really kind of resonated in that sense of like, oh man, this kind of reminds me of the story I've been like you know mulling over for almost twenty years. Yeah, 
yeah, I always love when those moments happen. You find something that feels, uh, yeah, like it could be a sibling to the story you've been wanting to, to tell. Well, it's, it helps because, like, the main character isn't, well, actually younger than Michael. Uh, and his parents also had, had just, you know, passed away. So it's like, oh, man, like, this, this really feels, you know, this, this really resonates with me. Or at least this, this, <laughs> I, I definitely can project onto this film. Oh, and just as a little bit of uh, returning back to some of the plot bits and some bits that I definitely did not get the first time I watched it, just in terms of a reference here, is uh, Michael, you know, he's worried about, oh, I feel like Jody's going to leave me. Oh, I, what's the logical choice for for a kid who doesn't have any real adult figures in his life that he can go to for advice? I'll just go to the weird psychic in town. And so he goes there, and who's behind the psychic table but this this old, like, uh, Benny Gesserit uh, witch lady who's got the, the, <laughs> the fear box there. I had not seen the other Dune adaptations at the time when I saw it or read the book. And so I, it wasn't until years later that I realized that this was just a rip from that, that book. Yeah, how how I I was shocked by that. I'm like, okay, that is like obviously either Don or one of his friends is a big fan of like Dune, because I'm like, what the flip is that doing here? Like, I'm not saying it's inappropriate, but I was just like, what the hey is like, what? <laughs> like, wow, that's a what a reference there, eh? Yeah, it's so it's such a strong rip, and even later the the little bar that they keep going to is called dune cantina or is it dune's cantina? i noticed that uh i think it is like dune cantina excuse me yeah it's like oh there you go there you go <laughs> but it, it's a fun little odd scene i i always thought it was creepy the way they laugh after he leaves so i was like oh like what do they know that he doesn't <laughs> like it, it kind of was a little bit out of nowhere i was like okay obviously the fear is the mind killer if that was what they were that really was like the yeah, that that was their uh, that, that was the whole point, uh, and that is brought back later, which is is nice. But when, whenever they laughed, I wondered if it was like a scam, like if they just like scammed him out of money, or if it was real or not. So I'm like, I don't know. But I think it's yeah, it's up to a, somebody's interpretation. Well, I mean, she did have that magic box that appeared out of nowhere and disappeared, so she had something going on there. But you know, it is funny because uh, that was another thing where it's like all of a sudden, like. It just appears out of nowhere. Michael accepts it. I'm like, what the flip? I guess only in this, only in this movie. <laughs> yeah, this weird reality that we're in, if it is one. Well, I mean, yeah, there's this mortician uh, or groundskeeper uh, who can like literally pick up a, a casket, and those things weigh, you know, as, as according to Jody, like over 500 pounds. Maybe exaggeration. Yeah, yeah, I like that we saw all them struggling as when we first see Michael just creeping like a voyeur with his little. Uh, binoculars and then yeah he just picks it up like nothing you think that you know the the body's been drained of all the blood or at least you know it's starting to be drained of all the blood uh i guess that's yeah it hasn't drained so it's like you think that the body would be like nothing but it's this casket that you know weighs uh, the whole thing like what the hey yeah yeah and i guess that brings us over to uh one of the main icons of this this movie and this franchise which is the tall man it's very imposing giant man as opposed to this tiny little this kid I, I always like the juxtaposition of those two i feel like it's a very good thing to scare a kid especially but well, how do you feel like this guy came off in this movie uh given that he is uh using the cover uh for i guess the the uh thumbnail for the film on tubi and i assume he's also like on the cover for the uh home releases uh 
I was kind of expecting a little bit more. I was, you know, I was expecting him to be like the main antagonist, uh, mm-hmm. or at least some something to that matter. And he's, they, they, he does a good job. Like Don does the the right thing in keeping him, you know, mysterious and and keeping him uh, less of the camera on him, which is which is good. He's not like, you know, he's he's not out there and and declaring war on anything. Not war, but he's not he's not out there boasting about his. Uh, his, his motivations or anything like that. He's just in the background. It's, it's giving us very little to an explanation as to what he is and what his nature is. Cause even by the end of it, I'm just like, I don't even know who this guy is. <laughs> yeah. He's just, I guess the, uh, the authority figure, at least here on this planet for their little operation that they got going on. But yeah, no real motivation. Just, yeah, just hey, leave leave us alone to do our work and let me keep uh, fishing for more bodies with my, uh, doing my shapeshifter routine. But I did think it was funny with his shapeshifter routine that he does like to wait until the thing's uh, consummated, you know, or at least in the middle of consummating before he pulls out that blade as he's uh, <laughs> being that lady. I thought that was an interesting quirk with the tall man. There, That is definitely something where uh, yeah, he lures in people by assuming the form of a very, like, you know, attractive woman. I assume if he was to do it to... Uh, a woman, if he was to lead a woman to uh, you know the grave sites uh, or the graveyard, excuse me, he'd assume like a very handsome man. Yeah, probably. Although I don't know, I don't know if they, I don't think we see any lady uh, dwarves. And when they go and find their, they're like they become nervous about their dad's uh, body being being used. I don't think they open up the coffin of their mom. I thought they shared the same coffin. I don't know why, but sure. I guess they didn't. They were just like, oh, I hope dad's not a... a, a. <laughs> I guess they, they call him dwarves, so fair enough. Yeah, I guess uh, I hope yeah. dad is, is, isn't a crumb dwarf. All right, I guess their mom's a dwarf, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if she's got a beard or no. Let's check out the next season of Rings of Power. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Annoyance, I guess, from that, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, what do you think about the Jawa-looking couple of guys there running around well you just said they looked like jawas and i couldn't get like i I obviously can get across but i was i was definitely like okay what's what's going on with their what's what's happening with them like what's their what is their nature and uh wow okay i was definitely not expecting that (laughs) yeah me me neither that was always a surprise the first time i saw it it's like oh did not did not expect to go this direction i mean this i mean the whole ending i mean obviously we can go there but like the whole ending as well was like, okay, this is this is definitely a new one of like it's aliens, but it's different kinds of aliens. We're not talking Lovecraftian aliens here, but aliens in a horror film, like, huh, that kind of worked. Yeah, and I think they they build up to the kookiness uh, well. Like they, it kind of starts out with yeah, maybe a weird blended supernatural with the the psychic stuff, and then we have these weird guys dressed up like maybe short monks running around the graveyard and it's like okay you know what's the mystery here what's going on and then i feel like everything starts to explode and get more kooky once michael uh escapes off on his own to go explore the is it the mausoleum is that what you call that kind of building yeah yeah i guess uh, i thought it was mortuary but no i guess it's a different place yeah and he's he's going through and then all of a sudden that silver orb flies through the sky i feel like that's the big change it's like okay now the movie's going in a a different direction. It's not I, just yeah. creepy mood piece. Now we're getting some more out there gore, especially when the guy pees himself. That always stuck with me when I saw this. <laughs> oh, that was urine? Huh. Well, color me surprised. Yeah, because she's got the red blood, and it's all coming out in that big tube. But 
But yeah, what were your thoughts on some of that scene there? Well, as you just said, the fact that that was, you know, well, okay, yeah. Uh, I wonder if Don was was dealing with, I don't know what, like, I, I assume most of the horror films up to this point uh, probably did have, like, a other than being, like, slashers like Texas Chainsaw um, and are, like, Night of the Living Dead. I assume, like, yeah, they probably had something to do with, like, mysticism. And like you said, he was influenced by uh, the Italian horror films as well. And they also had to do with, like, supernatural presences. Like we saw in, like, Suspiria, there was a lot of, like, you know, magic involved. And so I guess this one, he really wanted to kind of change it up in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was like, yeah, let's, let's do something different. So he, he started off with, like, the common tropes that everybody would see uh, in, the, um, in a horror film. And then as soon as, like, Phasma, that's what I'm calling her, uh, as soon as, unless there's a name, I think there was a name for it, but uh, as soon as Phasma shows up, it's like, okay, that's that's new, and we enter into something else. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it. I think that design is just a lot of fun. This tiny little silver ball with these little blades poking out. I think that's just cool. And they actually had a, a set for the first four movies that was that ball. You just open it up, and then the discs are inside. Man, I wanted that set so bad. I think it was Anchor Bay that put it out. But I missed it when it first came out, and then it was super expensive after that, and I was always so sad I couldn't get it. <laughs> but Yeah, I was I would not be surprised with that. Uh it's funny, I'm looking at the looking at the thumbnail here on Tubi, and my goodness, they have all these phasmas there. That's weird. Oh, for one of the sequels? Uh, no, just like in the no in this first uh, in the, in this first movie, like there's it's got the mortician there, it's got the lady next to him, and then it's got like four phasmas in the background as well. I'm like, what? Oh, like there was only one of them, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, that that sounds more like one of the sequels because yeah, they they do start using these a lot more, and yeah, we get multiple multicolored ones, multiple ones oh. on screen at the same time. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, they start they start leaning into them a lot. They, yeah, I guess what they remind me of is their drones. They they, they look like you know yeah. drones nowadays. Oh, look at that! So Don, you uh, you predicted the future. <laughs> but I like the limited use here. I feel like they do that with almost all their little scares. They keep things distinct. Like they don't overdo it with almost anything. I, at least I feel they kind of let it let things linger. Oh yeah, no, that's you're you're definitely right on that. Where they they allow. Uh, the characters to kind of breathe, breathe a bit, not to pontificate, but definitely to uh, they, they linger on some shots and uh, let them like you know do, do some walking. Yeah, and, and they savor the gore for a couple isolated little bits. Like this isn't definitely not what I would call like a gore horror movie, but the couple moments that they do have, I feel like stand out. Uh, the less you have of gore, the um, the more it stands out. Yeah, and the next one right after that orb bit when. Uh... Michael runs and hides, and he closes this big door and traps the tall man's fingers in there. I love the way just the, the shot like pulls out, and then you see the hand just kind of slapping at the wall, trying to free itself. And then he slices it off, and we get this nasty-looking, like yellowish blood. I always thought that blood just like just gross, whatever that is. So I'm sorry, I'm uh, interrupting and, and going back, but I am looking at uh, sure. the phasma there, and holy smokes, like you know they have it. The, it's a you know it's a the classic like sphere design. And it's like a mirror. I don't think I either they filmed it properly or not properly. I didn't see the camera in the reflection. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Yeah, no, I didn't see either. That's really good. Yeah, I never even. Yeah, I'm just looking at him urinate right now. I was like, what the hey is that like yellow stuff? Because um, when Michael bites into the guy, I'm like, that's not how 
blood would come from yeah. the guy's body. Like, what the flip? Like, that was too easy. I'm not saying that he wouldn't bleed, but like, jeez. Yeah, that looked gross, that blood, though. So I was like, Ugh. It definitely did. Um, but yeah, then anyways, yeah, he cuts the... Or he gets the mortician's hand jammed into a door, and he cuts it off, and then, yeah, it's yellow blood, and I'm like, huh. Looks... All I could think of in that moment was, it was like, liquefying... Uh, craft dinner. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, yeah, you can definitely, you know, get that image in your head and you're like, um, but I was like, huh, okay, that definitely is something that's, you know, not normal usually, but and <laughs> I've seen Green Blood and other horror films as well, but so having it be yellow is, is different. I did clearly not see his hand like in the pre in the shop before he closes it. I, I'm looking no. at it right now. His hand no. was not there. <laughs> Yeah, and then picks up the little wriggling fingers. Yeah, I, I feel like... What time is in this movie? Well, it's only about 40 minutes in, and I feel like it's changed up the mood quite a bit from here on. So so I appreciate that kind of switch in the, the middle there. Or not quite the middle, but... <laughs> um, but if there's one thing in this movie that never really held up for me, it was uh, the kind of turn with this thing. We see him bring this finger home, and very quickly Jody believes it, and it's like, okay, I accept that. Yeah, clearly this is something not normal, which I appreciate. Which, by the way, I swear when he when he looks in the box and looks at that finger, it looks like it's like sitting in mustard or something. <laughs> it also looks gross there. Yeah. But then is then when he goes to open the box next, this funny looking little beetle guy flies out, and this this also makes me think of Suspiria, because in Suspiria they had that kind of awkward bat effect. Yep. Yeah. This this is also awkward, and I. I feel like it does not they, they try their best to sell it especially when they're just like they got it trapped in like their clothes and they're flying all over the walls the actors do okay but the effect just looks kind of funny makes me laugh a little bit and they kill it by putting it down the garburetor <laughs> stabbing it poor reggie shows up he's like hey well, what's going on guys how oh you seem a little bit uh, distracted uh it's like a minute bit of a sitcom like happy days <laughs> she's like hey what's going on guys and there's like this killer fly or whatever it is like going around it's like yeah that that definitely was unexplained um the the pic, the bit with the picture when he goes to the antique store and i'm jumping ahead not that it matters but yeah. when he goes to the, the antique store and he finds that picture i'm like what the like okay so it's like that set up what was the picture for that the mortician was around during the time i guess the town was first established yeah i guess he's been doing this for yeah hundreds maybe hundreds of years or something like that but yeah why did he suddenly look out of the picture it's just one of those little pieces that it's it's just there for like flavor or something. Yeah, like fair enough. It's just like what I was surprised by is that they didn't elaborate on that. That's why I'm like a bit like befuddled of like, okay, you set that up for just for him to go back to Jody to be like, Jody, look at this. He's been around for a long time. How would that have helped the plot? Yeah, and again, there there really isn't much much of a plot here. Yeah, I guess I guess there sort of is, but it feels so it feels pretty loose to me. Well, I mean, I guess there is no plot given that, well, spoilers, or, you know, for the very end, uh, it turns out it was all a dream. Yeah, well, maybe a dream. Uh, yeah, this gets confusing with the tall man still being there. I'm assuming that, that was intentional. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Don Coscarelli did say that he wanted it to be a movie that people would keep going back to, and so he intentionally made it that kind of not really something that you couldn't fully decipher because it doesn't actually have a like a real sense to it. Yeah, that's... Well, he succeeded at least with one person. Yeah, and again, when I first saw it, I 
I was like, oh, wow, like this is a like a surrealist piece that if I keep going back, I'll see what the, the pieces lead to. And I, I've seen it like maybe like, I don't know, 15 times now. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't think the I don't think I'm, I'm missing anything by not fully, you know, getting what it's going for. I think it was intentionally built like that. Not something like David Lynch where David Lynch, I feel like, does spend like hours and hours, may, maybe even years thinking about how to uh, perplex the audience, but have a central theme that he's trying to push. Yeah, definitely. Um, not to jump back, I'm just looking at the scene right now with the, the fly. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if the, the reason they did this was literally just limited budget and or the fact that they just wouldn't be able to make the effects work with the bug. Like they had that initially in Michael's hair and then they have it inside the coat the whole time mm-hmm. they get into the garburetor. I'm assuming it like they just didn't have the budget uh, to get the necessary effects where it was like flying all around. Like they spent all their money on Phasma and then that's it. They like, they couldn't do what they were going to do with the creature effects or with that fly effect. Yeah, it could be. I, yeah, no, that I'm sure that's what it was. Yeah, maybe they just had no clue how to do something like that. Like, how do you realize that kind of bad effect? Even Dario Argento, who at that point was a well-established director, a great director, and even he just he kind, of, kind of fucked up with that scene. So, and I will say again that this is a very amateur crew. We see, you know, all, all, we see tons of shots of them firing off shotguns and handguns later in the movie. And they were such an amateur crew that they were just buying these blanks, having no idea that they were actually dangerous. Oh, really? <laughs> so we're lucky that, uh, or they're lucky that they didn't have a incident like many films have had post us with blanks. Yeah. But they did have one incident where they were firing and then all of a sudden one of the blanks hit Don Coscarelli's uh, jacket and it started on fire. Jeez. And that was their, their lesson to learn. Like, oh, actually, these are dangerous. These aren't just... Uh, <laughs> Just like fun little blast to fucking gun safety with these guys. Sometimes I'm like, holy shit! And even Jody's like, you know, maybe he was in the RV or something like that, or maybe their dad was in the or something like that. Because man, like, you know, you don't, you just shoot first. Don't ask, like, don't ask questions afterwards. Oh man, yeah, his little speech. Uh, don't don't shoot a man unless you intend to kill him. Uh, uh, warning shots are bullshit. <laughs> Talking like I feel like that's uh, that definitely is. Uh, a jab at something from the seventies or another like, you know, series from the seventies potentially. Yeah. I was even thinking when, when Michael came home with the, the finger in the box, when Jody came down in the morning, he just finds him on the stairs with a loaded shotgun. He's falling asleep with it just in his lap. And Jody comes over and he, you know, he, he pulls all the bullets out and just kind of looks at him. Doesn't even say anything like, Hey, what the hell are you doing with this thing? Just kind of looks at him with disappointment. And then, yeah, they got the shotgun, the, the rifles on the wall got a handgun just sitting in a box on on top of the mantle like nothing's locked here it's just 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 out there <laughs> yeah no that's gun safety what's that um one of the things that i i assume is what it is but one thing that i wish they the movie had done is this wouldn't be a horror film if it wouldn't be um but i do wish jody did take michael with him the whole way uh, or not the whole way, but he did bring Michael a lot uh, with him on any of his little ventures as they're trying to, you know, figure out what's going on at um, at the funeral home. Because mm-hmm. really, there's a lot of scenarios where, again, I know this was this was intentional, but I'm just saying, oh, there could have been a lot of scenarios where um, Michael wouldn't be in a jam if if Jody had brought him with him, uh, especially when they went into the uh, when he goes in through the basement. 
um, to take a look inside the funeral home, and then he gets attacked by those Jawas. It was like, oh, so it's revisiting a, like a level, like in video, in video game terms. He's revisiting a, um, a setting that we were just at, but now it's from a different perspective. But if he mm-hmm. brought Michael with him, Michael could have like you know given him some intel. Yeah, and they they try to like get rid of him. They like that's when he gets sent off with those two women who yeah maybe not the best actors in the movie. <laughs> Experienced. I guess they're like, oh, even though you're this kid that we just let you run around and do whatever you want, now we know that there's danger. Uh, now we have to look out for you and protect you from it. And it's weird because they, they, like, you know, he can handle himself. It's like, you know, just obviously at risk of, of, of Michael getting captured by somebody using his, being used as a hostage or as leverage. Um, Michael could, you know, watch watch Jody's back and vice versa. So, it's you know, I think it, that, that could work out. But, you know, they mm-hmm. went with... Uh, they went with this, so it's uh, obviously I won't uh, say otherwise. But yeah, you know, it's uh, the, the, that was that was there. But the, I was surprised that Jody kind of you know put a lot of faith into Michael. So I was I was, I was happy. About that. And in the same way, if if you went with the way I was thinking of, um, we could have scenes of uh, maybe like Michael lamenting, you know, his frustrations with Jody, just wanting to send him off to his aunt uh, mm-hmm. instead of you know basically being his caretaker, and maybe getting an explanation of like you know why. Uh, Jody's not going to be able to watch over him. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, they don't say how old Jody is, but I get the sense that he's probably not that old. Maybe like 22, 23, maybe, something like that. And so, yeah, maybe he just doesn't want to have to take care of this kid for the next six, seven years. Yeah, just, just, well, doesn't, yeah, wants to shirk responsibility, even though it's not like... Michael can't fend for himself. That's what I like about him is that he isn't, uh, he's not obviously self-sufficient, but he definitely uh, can take care of himself to a point. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, he's just, he's still a teenager, so he doesn't have, he's not grown as, as you know, he's not a full adult yet. Yeah. And there's something that feels very poignant about just seeing that this kid at, at, at that kind of period in his life and feeling like abandoned by the adults around him, he lost his parents, his, his, the one kind of connection he has still his brother thinking about leaving him and he's just like following him around everywhere there's something about that that just kind of hits me in a place i'm not sure and and just some of the grief talk i i, like, I can't imagine what it would be like to lose your parents at that age yeah certainly i can't yeah i my sympathies for all those who uh have had that happen to them uh, i don't know if it's the batman effect but <laughs> it definitely there's a lot of grief there and what not um so let's. I, sorry, I, we, we kind of skipped over the the end of the film. Uh, we kind of just like because I just jumped back there. Uh, maybe we'll put a pin in that and save that for the ending, of course. Because obviously, I think we, there's more to elaborate on with that. I'll, I'll highlight another moment that that always stood out for me. One of the moments I really liked, and this is in, in some way calls back to just the feeling of being a kid again. Like we we see this scene with Michael just kind of walking around the town. He's got this sucker in his mouth. He's checking the payphone as he walks by. Like, oh, like let's see if there's some change in there. Uh, just that moment itself reminded me of being a a youth. I was I was always checking those. And as he he notices Reggie across the street, and he also notices that tall man walking, and they kind of lock eyes for a moment. I always thought that moment was shot really well. And I guess we get a sense that I don't know. I don't know what the hell the tall man does though. Cause he like, we see all this this cold coming out of Reggie's truck, and I couldn't tell if he was like basking in the cold or if he was like hurting from the cold, but he had some sort of strange reaction. Oh, I thought it was like a, 
like an omen almost like he was he was uh looking for his like next victim maybe yeah i still don't know what it was but whatever it was i i feel like that moment always really stood out it was shot in the music but another moment that stands out for me that maybe doesn't stand out in a good way um <laughs> it's uh one of the fun things about michael is he's he's always working on his brother's his his car and even they're driving around and they both get out and they're like, oh, something's kind of wrong. And immediately Michael knew what it was. And so at some point we see him just working on the car in, in their garage. And he starts hearing all these these Jawas in there around him. And they end up getting inside the car, moving it around till it drops on top of him. And I always like that moment. I, I think when it dropped on him, it always, I always like the suspense of that. But then he gets out and, you know, he hits Jody on the foot and... He's like, oh, these these drawers are here, man. I'm I'm freaking out. Like these guys are here, and and do you remember what Jody said? <laughs> it's a very non PC response. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. No, the the slow guy Josh down the street. Yeah, he's like, you sure it wasn't that R word kid from up the street? I was, that always stood out. It's like, okay, that's this is definitely the seventies. That's the seventies. I I just <laughs> you know I I don't want to just like throw. <laughs> backhander or something like that i'm just like well yeah kind of assuming yeah Cause especially because there's you know there's this is the movie is definitely like you know rated 18a i'd say uh actually mm-hmm. where would you say this is like 814 or 18a for us i would think this was a 14a yeah okay uh but yeah it definitely has that edge to it uh especially with low budget you can get away with that stuff and yeah that was yeah pure 70s so i'm <laughs> all right with it i mean i don't accept that nowadays but it's like what do you expect like different time yeah yeah different time and for, for some of the low-budget element, I always feel like the person who stands out out of the main cast the most of feeling like a like a non-professional actor, but somehow just has a charm to him, it's uh, it's Reggie. So something about that guy, I just, I feel like he's a, a charming performer, but none of his line deliveries sound like they're necessarily natural. It always has a, like a strained quality to him. Is it because we don't get enough of him, or do you think we do get enough of, of him to perform these these lines, or at least to have that presence here in the in the film? Uh, I think we get enough. I think we get just enough of him. I I think. Okay. Yeah, enough to see that he's an important part of their group, and he's got a fun personality to him. But yeah, just a, a funny kind of acting style, I think, and he's got a funny look too. And he's an ice cream man. Something about that's just odd. <laughs> It's it's weird because you, you you think that he has the appearance of I'm a guy who diddles kids. Oh no, oh no. Well, that's the obvious joke people say nowadays, right? Yeah, no, I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go there. Even though I, I just did. Yeah, you like, just did. <laughs> just give him a thick caterpillar mustache, and then he's the greasiest sucker on the planet. More greasy than uh, White Castle's sliders. <laughs> Oh, I never had those. Pray that you don't. <laughs> um, but but I always appreciate Reggie, and he he is a mainstay in the franchise. He shows up in I think all of them. I um, mean, and, and all these characters do to some degree keep showing up in the other ones, which is strange because it the other ones, especially the second one, feels like just a straightforward movie. It completely loses all this like dream logic styling, and so it's 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 just odd this this franchise going forward but uh, but another piece of oddness that i feel like even for a dream logic element it doesn't make sense to me it it just it's just one of those moments it's like okay this this is a weird bit 
it's uh jody he he decides okay i just found out that reggie's dead and those two girls that were supposed to be looking after you they're missing now potentially dead so he's he's gonna go off on his own and deal with this and he locks up michael in his room and michael comes up with a clever way to escape this uh this imprisonment because he's got a shotgun shell on his table that he's just he's playing with a shotgun shell and he's like, oh, I got this hammer, I got this tape, I got this pin. Why don't I just stab this pin into the, the shotgun shell, tape it to my hammer, and smash into the door. That will be my way to, to get out. And it, that, that's just... Come on. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to assume that he rolls, like, a nat 20 on, like, creativity or absurdity or ingenuity. Something like that. Because that is... I was like, there's no way. Like, what the flip is that? I'm like... Couldn't you have just used the hammer to like, like you know, break through the door anyway? That's exactly what I was saying. Just, just break the handle off. Yeah, break the lock out of its place. <laughs> I guess I'm looking at the scene right now with the the photograph he finds at the antiquities shop. Mm. It's a GIF almost, like the the picture itself is moving. So it's like maybe he's like, oh, I gotta take this to Red, or I gotta take this to Jody. Again, I, I still don't know what that is. By the way, so when Reggie shows up from the dead at the end, well, before he died, like, you know, seemingly he, he died when they're at, at the funeral home, uh, I, I was immediately suspicious. Like, nothing on Reggie. It's just, like, by the nature of somebody showing up, if they're perceived to be dead in the story, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're... So, like, either they're mind-controlled mm. or it's, it's, like, somebody in disguise. Like a double agent? There you something. go. Uh, not that he was throughout the whole film. I'm just saying, like... His body's been like taken over. I mean, yeah, I always thought that was weird too. It's like, why? Why did they bring him back for that? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they really did want him dead, and then they just decided, okay, let's just bring him back. Like, we we, we want another person in this, and we can f- tie up that whole uh, tuning fork bit. <laughs> yeah, that definitely came out of nowhere. But you know, the thing that's that was interesting. Uh, the, both Michael and Jody have this like recurring either dream or, or vision of. You know, being somewhere like jo- Michael and Ben, Jody, you know, sitting and he's inside, you know, the, the the funeral home or whatnot, and or mausoleum, and then he get they they both get pulled in by these they drag by they get dragged by these like either corpses or zombies or whatever these arms hmm. with a tall man standing over them looming. Yeah, no, I like that. I'm like, huh? I wonder. Uh, I wonder what that means. Yeah, and again, I I, I do feel like they find a, a lot of poignant images to make you kind of go, hey, like really mull this one over there's there's more here than you realize and there still could be i i could be maybe just with the familiarity of it and knowing how it was slapped together as as a production maybe uh i'm not giving it as much credit but yeah because yeah i don't know i don't know there's clearly a a strong theme of grief running through this and kind of trying to move on or, or find your place in the world in that kind of situation yeah not trying to be a husk of the fact that you you this, this this emptiness this this fact that you know you had these people with with you um for so long and and they're no longer there anymore uh, not not only just because maybe you put some of yourself into them um but just you know they had a they, they were always there and like 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 you said there's this emptiness to that uh i'm i'm surprised that this is not a this is not a positive or negative thing but i'm surprised they did not go with any flashbacks uh with their parents uh, hmm. They just had it with the the two of them. And that's it, and only uh, speaking um, 
offhandedly about it. Not no, no, nothing visual, just uh, uh, told, not shown. Yeah. No, yeah, I guess it is surprising that, yeah, they never saw the parents. So I guess they have to pay more actors. <laughs> <laughs> Again, nothing wrong with that. Just um, an observation. Yeah. Like, huh, interesting. Because they did do a flashback of sorts to uh, when um, Michael was explaining uh, what he was doing uh, with with Jody uh, at the fortune teller's house. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I wonder, this kid trying to process these these terrible things around him trying to find some sort of reason justification maybe there's some of that in there although again the ending throws that into a to question yeah which i was not expecting I'm like what the flip um <laughs> yeah then there's this then there's a scene after you know the the two ladies and joe and uh, michael are in the car and they get um assaulted by the jawas or the dwarves excuse me uh yeah. there's that scene when he gets like thrown out of the vehicle of the back of the windshield and he's <laughs> he's just lying on the ground and then we sh- cut to jody in the house and then cut back to michael like twice i'm like huh i wonder what that's supposed to imply if if they're like if there's a psychic bond if if michael can sense or jody can sense michael's presence and that he's in distress no they didn't do that so i'm like huh okay well, i wonder what they were going for with that yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I always used to fixate on that scene. I was like, okay, there's something here in this scene that feels like it's got something something going on there. And I, I don't know, I, I used to tie it into the ending. I was like, okay, this is a sign where, like, like it's almost like Jody's stopping. Like, he's he's not participating in, in the story anymore. He just kind of stops until Michael gets back to him. Is it... But again, I don't know if it has any meaning, but I used to ascribe a lot to it. Let's talk about it. Is it Jody in that moment? No, sorry, I keep getting mixed up. Is it Michael thinking of Jody sitting in that exact spot? And that's what makes Michael get the will uh, to stand up and, and keep going. Because uh, that's his brother and he's he means the world to him now. Um, and so that's why Michael, that's why Michael gets up. Because of those images of Jody potentially. Or, or because of the ending, and it's it's a dream, mm-hmm. is because this is the roles reversed, where it's actually Michael in the chair, and it's Jody lying dead on the, um, if if that is the case, lying dead on the concrete from the car accident. Yeah, no, I guess yeah, maybe the fact that apparently Jody died in a car crash not long after the parents are dead, maybe Michael being on the road here. And then we see Jody kind of reflecting. Maybe, yeah, that was him dead on the road like that or in some, in some fashion. Cause again, yeah, just roles reversed of like Jody's the one on the concrete uh, bleeding to death. And Michael's at home on the couch thinking about this. Yeah. Cause Jody does have this very poignant kind of like stuck look to him. He's just staring in the thin air, like the thousand years stare of like, he's not looking at you. He's looking behind you. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's the thing about this movie. I, I feel like they've got a lot of those moments that just kind of sit like that. Like it's, it, it definitely, you can take something so small like that and just really make you, make it stick in your mind. Like what were they going for there? What was that? Yeah. This is not a, this is, this is not lower, but this, there, I wouldn't call this the same as like, sure, it's like lower budget, of course, but this has a lot of ideas going for it. That's the, that's the thing, is that like, I, I'm praising this film or not. I'm not, I don't want to obviously, film. I'll just put myself, like, I'm feeling that. Like, I'm definitely like, 
not fully feeling it. Um, maybe this is even more as you know him and I talk about it. It's like, no, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely feeling this whole thing about it. But no, it's it's um, yeah, it's it's smartly thought of, and it's 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 not utter like schlock. Definitely not. No, sure, it's got boobs there. But it's like not really. Yeah, it's got a lot of ambition and a lot of kind of creative spirit to it, which I think. I don't know if I'd call it like a proof of concept, but it's definitely something that Don would revisit, I assume, in his other films. Uh, he always carries a, a strange creative spirit. I don't know if there's any other ones that feel necessarily like this. Even with the sequels, they they just go in their own different directions. Uh, but I know that there's at least one other movie of his that I definitely want to bring out on the podcast. I've mentioned it to you before called Bubba Hotep. So maybe expect that sometime soon. <laughs> Do you remember anything about that? Me telling you about that one? Uh, you probably have to jog my memory. Okay, I'll just give you a, a minor synopsis. So it takes place in old folks' home, and it features Bruce Campbell as... That, no, yep, thank you. No, I remember this now. Yep, you don't <laughs> have to say anything. Yep, you... Sure. you I, I, I forgot the title, but I remember the description. Yeah, another one with a crazy creative spirit. Tons of ambition for a low-budget movie of really wanting to, to dig deep and give you something different. So, yeah, we'll definitely look at that. Um, but I guess speaking of ambition, let's maybe let's jump to the end. Um, so we all wind up back in the, the funeral home or the mausoleum, whatever it's called. And when Michael was there previously, he saw this door with all these, these heads lined above it, which I think is a really pretty, uh, a pretty uh, design on that door. It was it was very weird because uh, the mausoleum itself I don't know like they had a funeral and I think there was um, I think there was like it was sort of Christian based also Jody had like I think a uh, he had a, or Michael had a, a cross I think on his on his bed mm, uh, mm-hmm. that he took and he put in his pocket uh, his breast pocket excuse me and that didn't go nowhere uh, I was surprised I thought that was <laughs> like, like uh, maybe again that was intentional subverting people's expectations into thinking like this is like the exorcist or this is like you know it's uh supernatural so you use like a cross to uh repel to purify to um uh, what, what rebuke excuse me rebuke uh the dead or the damned um but they didn't do that in this case but no the above i believe the busts and there were a few busts around the um the mausoleum were i believe of greek gods oh okay okay that, that makes sense Cause, yeah, I was wondering why they'd be there. Yeah, because I saw that. I was like, wait a minute. Like, what the hey are the Greek gods doing there? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and what the hey is behind this door as we... I I've, I thought throughout the movie that the the look of the mausoleum had a nice starkness compared to everything else. It's got a lot of these these kind of tall tall walls and just a cool-looking aesthetic in that building itself. But once they go through the door and we get this stark white room with all these uh kind of like alien beer kegs maybe <laughs> I've, I've seen them before they they if, if you work in like industrial settings they exist uh yeah. they're like these blue uh plastic uh can it not oil drums but like these these drums almost mm-hmm. yeah i know the ones mean yeah yeah but just the the starkness of that setting change i thought was uh, another nice shift like a another change in the aesthetic of the movie that I like quite a bit. And we're in this room with this weird kind of buzzing sound. And Michael notices in the corner, like, oh, there's these two little 
metal pillars here. We're like, what, what are these? He goes to take a look, and he realizes if he put it, puts his hand through him, it disappears. And as he's as he's kind of having fun, like playing, like, what the hell is this? And kind of makes a weird sound. He puts his hand through, then he just falls right through. And we get one of the things that always really stood out for me again from my first viewing. And I, and I when I think about this movie, it's one of the things I think about is Michael floating around in that upper atmosphere and then looking down and just seeing all these these uh, Jawas on this alien planet. That was a big surprise the first time. Briefly, like five seconds. It reminded me not so much the... Uh... Not so much of the Jawas planet or whatever it was. The effect of Jody Michael going through a little like portal mm-hmm. uh, reminded me a bit from the uh, an episode of the Twilight Zone where this little girl uh, goes through this portal that uh, is in her room, and her parents have to like try to find her. It's a really good episode, really, oh. really thrilling and suspenseful. Yeah, I know that sounds familiar. That I, I'm pretty sure I remember that one. Mm. When are we going to do our Twilight Zone podcast? Talking, it may happen. It, it's every day I keep thinking about. It, I'm like, we may, we may end up doing the, that whole series just because I fucking love that show to death. We might be able to get Steve for that one. He was trying to get uh, Sean to do a Twilight Zone podcast for a long time. <laughs> but, but anyway, that's uh, yeah. Besides the point here. Oh, and and this is the part as well where uh, Reggie shows back up. Uh, he yeah. just like he 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 turned out he didn't die. Uh, which again, immediately again, nothing on Reggie. It's just, he made me suspicious of like something like you've been replaced or something's going on. You're an inside man. You're a double agent, <laughs> unfortunately. No, that's fair. But yeah, well, what'd you think about this turn here with the, cause I feel like we, we had some minor introductions to the sci-fi bent, but I feel like this is the big throwing it all out there moment. As soon as it turns out they're aliens, uh, I was like, whoa, but then what made me go, okay, where's this coming from, is when Michael says to Jody and Reggie after he, you know, like he, <laughs> they narrowly averted uh, him entering the, the Phantom Zone or whatever it was, okay. uh, is him going, they're slaves. Like, hmm. how the flip can you tell they're slaves? Pardon yeah. me for, for going there. I'm like, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? Yeah, I guess that image was supposed to make it look like they're slaves. I, I don't know. <laughs> I I just looked at that image. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, maybe I'm ignorant, but I couldn't tell that they were slaves in that case. Yeah, it didn't necessarily look like it. Maybe I got to go back. <laughs> I'm about to like. It's actually coming up for me like shortly. So I'm like, I I don't know. But I'm just I'm just like completely kind of flabbergasted. As to like, obviously, again, that's that's the, the the height of ambition. It kind of reminded me actually the end of uh, Evil Dead Two when. Um, Ash ends up in the past. Mm. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminded me of that effect. If if you remember, like the graininess or whatnot, that's what it reminded me yeah. of. But when as Michael's approach, I'm seeing this right now. As Michael's approaching these two like pillars and or poles made out of like similar phantasm, or as a, a not phantasm, but yeah. as a phasma, excuse me. Um, it reminds me of like 2001 almost, just the, the stark white room. Mm-hmm. It's really striking. Yeah, no, definitely. And it, it's, I think the the red following that, this red background that he's in, is also quite, uh, yeah, just a lot of good uses of kind of startling uh, color tones, kind of grab you. Oh, yeah. All the different little bits of contrast. 
Like, okay, so there's these people... Okay, yeah, it's a whole lineup of people going into... I don't even know. I, <laughs> the information there, I, I couldn't extrapolate immediately. Like slavery. Like, no. What? I agree. It's just this whole, like, you know, it's just this, this, this like, this whole sea of rocks, that, and there's a lineup of all these, you know, drawas, and there's, like, maybe a taller person with cloaks. They're using them for slaves. And <laughs> the whole sky is red. I'm like, I'm... <laughs> Okay, um, I'm just like, oh, I thought we were in hell. Like, I literally thought, like, at this point, we're just in hell. Oh, interesting. Mm. We're in, we're in another dimension or planet or something like that. I'm like, okay, so it's almost become the plot of They Live. Oh, 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 okay, okay, that's interesting. Mm. Now, obviously, different direction, of course. Excuse me, but yeah. I'm just like, oh, like okay. a portal. Yeah. Oh, and then the lights go off. <laughs> yeah, which again, I, I like the the starkness of that go from this really bright room to just yeah complete black and i think that that's kind of cute in a way <laughs> he lights up his uh michael lights up his little lighter and there's a jawa just right in front of him like hey how's it going <laughs> probably got some people but definitely didn't get me i'm like i kind of was expecting that yeah i i just thought it was cute i was like oh look look at that attempt there <laughs> yeah within and then jody gets out of there quickly and is like mike mike where are you it's like what the hey I know, they just completely abandoned Reggie, both of them. Like, rip. And speaking of Reggie, literally this is happening on screen as we're talking. He then's like, hey, this, like, gets an idea check like this was Call of Cthulhu. It's like, hey, these look like two tuning forks. Or a tuning fork, excuse me. Yeah, I think it's the sound, too. All that uh, harmonics around. Okay, maybe that's it. Because you could hear it when uh, when uh, uh, Mike was putting his hands through. The sound would, like, suddenly change. That's true. That's probably the reason why. And you know what that also reminded me of? That reminded me of... From Beyond? All right, mm. that. Uh, just with the whole, like, you know, uh, using tuning forks to tune into, like, another dimension. So I was like, oh, okay, I kind of get what they're going for. Like, using a... a, that's, a that's an idea that I haven't really seen mo- most of, except for, I guess, From Beyond. The Lovecrafty <laughs> story, right? Or am I, am I wrong on that? Yeah, based on Lovecraft's story, yeah. Okay, okay, good. Not the... If you, if you all remember that, um, in it from from our The Beyond, where I, <laughs> I, I'm mistaken them both for in the same movie. Okay, I love that you saw that. I love that. Everyone go check that out. <laughs> we'll do that one eventually, but not not right now. But Absolutely. yeah, I guess uh, there, there was that that, that reminded me of. Yeah, and so he's like, oh, let me see what happens if I touch this. You know, maybe this vibration will stop. And then disaster strikes. And yeah, we get the, I guess the first climax in a way. I feel like there's somewhat two of them. We have the climax destroying this kind of funeral home where everything starts getting sucked in and poor Reggie, he winds up outside eventually too during the, all this storm as everything's getting sucked in. And then the, the lady, tall man, gets the chance to, uh, yeah, do some more stabbings. Is, huh, I, w- I wonder, I just thought of the Greek gods again. Mm. Is it supposed to be like an analogy to Pandora's box? Oh, I could, I could see that. Yeah, I could absolutely see that. Uh, and the only thing left inside Pandora's box when she opened it was hope. Oh. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I just thought of that right now. I, have, I have no idea um, where I'm going with that. But yeah, it would have been a more hopeful ending if they just ended with, uh, yeah, the way that this side of the plot ends. But I guess we'll get there. <laughs> what keeps happening, Caleb? Even though I already, you know, spoiled it all. 
Yeah, so poor Reggie, he gets the corpse routine. You know, he, he's down for the count. And so they, they drive back home, Michael and Jody, and they're they're just, you know, again, kind of stuck in grief for a minute. And Michael and Jody's like, okay, I'm going to... I remember this old mine shaft up at the... Not far from here, kind of walking distance for you later. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to go up there, I'm going to move this sign, you know, you, I'll, I'll come back for you, we'll drag that tall man up there, and we'll trick him into falling down there. And I always kind of forget about this secondary climax. I always just think of this big one. But, I don't know, this, this second one is, is pretty damn cool. I, I wonder why I forget about it. I think the music rocks during a lot of it, and just Tall Man doing his little home invasion, I think is is pretty fun. Which was set up, thankfully, beforehand, um, when he kidnapped Michael and shoved him in that uh, hearse. And, and Michael gets out, you know, by shooting the window out and then shooting the tire. And, you know, it crashes, and I'm like, okay, okay fair enough. And then it just, like, explodes. I'm like, what? What the fuck? Yeah, great, great explosion, but, yeah, crazy. Out of nowhere, I was like, I was not expecting that. I was like, <laughs> It's also just crazy that he's walking around this 13-year-old kid with that, that gun that looks huge on him. It looks like it should uh, break his shoulder when he tries to fire it compared to him. That piece, man. Like, it's not a Desert Eagle, but man, alive. Like, yeah, definitely. I'm like, what, what the heck? Um, yeah, I don't know why it's not. Maybe it's just because there's not as much, like, I, I'm not saying the, um, the actual climax is not engaging and, and exciting, but I guess... I don't know, maybe because the set piece that uh, in being inside the mausoleum and funeral home, maybe that was just because it had all this striking imagery. You're like, oh, this mm-hmm. is so cool. Like, th- this should be the ending. And then, you know, this kind of happens where it's like, oh, we're just going to trap in a mine shaft. And like, that's kind of anticlimactic. What the flip? No, I could I could see that. And I think that's what I, I think that's why I kind of forget about it. Because, yeah, we follow this kind of big, big epic science fiction style ending. And then we just go back to a more subtle horror kind of thing with this home invasion and then yeah running up to a mountainside but i think they i think they just handled the suspense well for me and i, I especially love the way the music carries all this and there's yeah. just some really cool imagery like the blue light when uh the tall man finally bursts into the house i think that's really cool yeah no I, I, and even the lack of music as well really helps add suspense i'll I'll fully admit mm. that where it's like with the lack of music and and just atmosphere, oh, it definitely chins, sends chills on my spine yeah, no, I like all that, but this movie definitely makes me uh verifies my worry and and basically states the fact that it doesn't matter if you lock your doors or you lock your windows uh somebody's still gonna come through the window with like albeit, you know, a rock, a gun, or something else. <laughs> or a knife. Or a knife. Harder to stab and uh, stab glass with a knife, but it <laughs> can still be done. Boy. I always like that, too. Maybe yell that at him. Boy. What is he, Kratos? <laughs> yeah, and I, I also liked, because I, I guess things are just getting a little bit more surreally here. When Michael's running up to the mountainside, or the, the, the mine shaft, and then he gets to this mud, and all of a sudden all these hands start reaching out in the mud trying to grab him. I always thought that was an interesting little moment, too. The creepy tall man on his heels. And it was, like, that that point where I was like, okay, what the hell is going on here? Like, is this horror or is this, you know, science fiction? What what are we, what are we doing here? Yeah, Big Mel them both in, 
Yeah, again, just that kind of dream logic bit. And, and this is when they start to pull back the, the whole uh, fear is the mind killer bit. Yep, that was that was the whole like, reason they brought that back was because, like, no, do not do not fear anything. Yeah, and it was almost like, because the tall man was, was following him behind, but Michael was able to run faster. It was almost like he conjured those hands to stop him. And then next thing you know, the tall man's right there in his seductress form. Oh, and don't forget the two uh don't forget the two tombstones. Oh yeah, which I really liked. I always liked that tombstone bit. I assume those were supposed to be the tombstones of his parents. Yeah, the specter of his grief right there. Yeah. Actually it's funny because looking at the tall man walk, I, it's almost like they slowed down the footage. I like mm-hmm. that a lot. It's it's it's, it's, it's especially the, the actor himself. He has a very like striking face. He's a very good look to him. Uh, yeah, he definitely. Hopefully, that's not a, a bad thing or typecasting him, but just like no, he's got a very striking image, and I, I like the way he he walks. He walks uh, with with a grandiose presence to him. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, no, for his grand grand presence, yeah, his ending does feel anticlimactic. Where he just definitely he runs after him and just kind of falls down the the mine shaft. <laughs> pulled the uh, pulled the rug out from under him, and and. <laughs> Michael didn't even know. I know. I know he knew the plan, but I don't know if he like knew the the trap door was there. Yeah, I guess maybe he was looking for, waiting for it. But if only, if only uh, Jody would have left like a sign somewhere, a symbol. <laughs> but no, and Jody didn't even realize he was coming. I guess he just happened to notice when he was up at the top of the hill. Like, oh shit, there's my brother running with that giant guy behind him. I'll quickly toss these boulders down. But he picked the he picked the perfect moment to do it. <laughs> Danger, open mine shaft. What the hell is this Silent Hill? <laughs> hey, there you go. There you go. They trapped him in Silent Hill. There we go. That's that's the ending I want. Yeah, and speaking of the ending I want is when Michael stands up and looks at the top of the hill, and there's Jody up there, and they're triumphant. These two brothers, after all this strife, after all this like turmoil and and grief and obstacles. Yeah, exactly. It's like our demons have been lifted, and then. Yeah, the veil's lifted from us as, you know, Michael wakes up and it was all a dream, maybe. <laughs> Darn you, Dallas, for uh, stealing the uh, idea from uh, uh, Don Cassarelli. <laughs> or, sorry. Yeah, and I always thought this was kind of a funny scene where, I guess, Reggie's adopted him. And they're sitting by the fire, you know, they're, they're having this kind of tender moment together. Like a soap opera moment, feels like. It's almost got like a love scene kind of vibe to it with the way that they got the color. Ew. I know. <laughs> Speaking of what you said earlier. <laughs> Whoops. That came back to bite me in the rear. Although it's not me that's getting bit in the rear. But it's just kind of a tender, sweet scene. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I don't know if you'll ever watch the sequels, but in a way this is setting up the sequels with him being like, let's hit the road together. And yeah. That's that's kind of where where it goes after this, but I was surprised by that. I yeah, I'm not against doing. I thought we were just going to do these films again at some point, like do the rest of them. But that's up to you, really. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I also like the fact that when we flash over to see Jody's gravesite, uh, mm-hmm. it's a different place. It's not even. Oh, wait, I think it is the same. It's supposed to be in the same field as where the uh, funeral home is. Never mind. Yeah, it looks different though. They they like it looks less fantastical. Looks more uh, mundane. Yeah, like you would see in any other like graveyard. Yeah. Or cemetery, excuse me. Yeah, but even though Reggie's trying to convince him, like, oh, you know, this is just a dream, and, you know, this is just 
you know, you, you got to accept the fact of, you know, how, what, what the reality is. And I'm going to be there for you to try to, you know, I'll never replace Jody, but I'll, I'll try my damnedest, you know, <laughs> he's putting on his best performance. This is the Oscar reel for Reggie. <laughs> Let's go, Reggie. Come on. You can do it. <laughs> um, but all the while, Michael has this kind of steely kind of angle to him where he's like, no, nah, I, I, he, he was after Jody all that time. And now I know he's after me. And that, that kind of turns out to be the case. I mean, he, he, he likes the idea of them hitting the road, getting a change of scenery. But when he goes up to his room to pack, there's that tall man waiting for him, waiting to pull him through the glass. So, eh. What was also weird is there was a dissonance that I had between the music and when right. Reggie's playing the, the guitar there. I'm like, what the flip? Like, this doesn't fit right. This is What's going on No, here? not at all. And I didn't know if it was intentional. I didn't know if, if it was meant to be off-putting or if it was just they didn't really realize that it was, yeah, just very awkward. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's 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 certain. Uh, yeah, this ending feels like it was something out of, uh, I will I will I will not say like an anime or anything like that. But yeah, it was all it was all a dream. It's uh, it's like <laughs> this is not the end of Evangelion, but yeah. uh, or anything of that like where it's just like oh, what is real? That's very existential. But I definitely had that because even though this is bleak, it isn't as bleak as what those ones are trying to do. Where it's like very psychological horror. Um, this is, yeah, it's, I wouldn't say it's psychological, but there is definitely like horror to it. Um, oh, great. Phantasm three Lord of the Dead just started playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'll say when I, when I used to go back to this a lot at that time, cause I still go back to it quite frequently now. I just don't, uh, look at it exploring, uh, trying to find deeper meanings, which maybe I should. I, I feel like there actually is some maybe thematic meaning more than, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, there's probably symbolism here that I've I probably overlooked. I mean, I'm surprised that there wasn't any like Hades uh, or Pluto imagery inside the cemetery itself, given that like it would be the underworld. But hmm, that's interesting. Maybe I'm maybe, maybe there's uh, yeah. I, I, I'm first time watching through. I'm not. I was having both like you know an entertainment brain and my analytical brain also trying to you know think what, what, what like what's going on here yeah and sort of see like some losses and whatnot of him just wandering around aimlessly because he just doesn't have anything to do because uh, your parents are there to kind of like push you in that direction even if you're against you know them pushing like oh mom and dad i don't want to do this like they're instilling all this like all the, all these ten all these um all these beliefs into you all these um principles into you because one day you're not going to have them around. You're going to have to be self-sufficient on your own, at least. Mm-hmm. It's like they're they're trying to put all these qualities into you at a young age because that's what that's the cycle of life, for pit's sakes. It's how us animals work. <laughs> well, when I when I used to watch it in that more analytical way, yeah, I, I'd always come away feeling like none of it was real that I saw it. All of it was a phantasm or a, a dream. I, I don't know what the word phantasm means. Actually, I think about it. You can look it up now. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to, I don't want to say ghost, uh, but I thought it has to do with, I'm thinking poltergeist, but poltergeist is like a ghost that haunts a, a certain, is a specific type of ghost that haunts like a certain place um, for reasons tied to the death of the ghost. But poltergeist, or phantasm, excuse me, uh, I think is either like a word from another language that was Romanized uh, uh, or it's some sort of like another specter or ghost. 
Well, according according to the dictionary dot uh, com here, it says uh, literary meaning a figment of the imagination, an illusion or apparition, and then it says archaic meaning an illusory likeness of something. Hmm. Well, just like Suspiria, which is you know sigh. Um, yeah, it seems that that was an aptly named title. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Because yeah, I always took it as what what we're seeing is the pieces for this this puzzle of metaphor. None of it was a a real f- fiction that I just watched. It was you know had a greater goal that it was reaching towards. And then I started. Then I watched the sequels and you know learn more about the production. And then I started to be like, okay, maybe this didn't have its lofty goals behind it. And I think maybe that's overshadowed my viewing since, which is a shame because yeah, maybe if I was just looking to mine. Uh, meaning, I'm I'm sure I could find some bullshit stuff in here and come up with a more cohesive uh, reading of it. But yeah, I just don't look at it that way anymore, which is maybe too bad. That's the problem, right? When you get too, you put too much, uh, you spend too much time in the production side of things behind the scenes, that it kind of mm-hmm. ruins the, um, the the actual movie itself. And I, I admit, I had that with Star Wars. Uh, with when I was like always because I always used to love watching Empire of Dreams, and mm. but I still liked watching you know the, the original movies, of course. So, um, I, thankfully, having not watched them in years intentionally has I think hopefully averted that you know all oh, this is like I know the behind the scenes stuff, although it's you know commonly <laughs> associated now. So like yeah, sometimes I do want to have that suspension of disbelief. Like okay, I know this is a movie. This was made behind the scenes stuff we all know that it's probably documented or whatnot but for the sake of suspension of disbelief and the fact that i don't want to know anything let's go into this without like you know knowing what happened behind the scenes other than like some stuff yeah yeah and i again i i I blame the sequels more than anything else because they continue forward as a straightforward franchise mostly and so they kind of take their pieces that they want from this and go okay this is how we construct something that isn't just a, a phantasm. It's something that's more of a mythology. So I, I feel like that kind of damages the readings that I used to have for this. But I, I wouldn't mind going back one day and yeah, trying to just separate myself and take this as more of a metaphorical kind of story, because I, I think that's what this first one was meant to be. Interesting how you... you know, that, that is kind of... <laughs> saying, saying that the sequels go in another direction does kind of at least make me a little bit hesitant uh, to go to those, it's like ah, I like what I have here. But then I gotta, yeah. gotta give the, those the benefit of the doubt, and obviously not do my research. See, sometimes not doing <laughs> research can you know benefit you uh, if you're doing a commentary or doing a uh, discussion. This, by the way, kind of felt like almost a scene by scene. It kind of devolved by that at the end. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it kind of yeah morphed into it, which I don't mind. Yeah. I always love those when they're natural, not uh, scripted like I used to try to do. <laughs> no, yeah, certainly, it's uh, def- definitely not. Um, so it could have been a, uh, no, I don't know if it, no, I don't know if commentary because <laughs> practically is the length of a commentary because it ended for me like 10 minutes ago. I assume you restarted yeah. it. Yeah. I, I was jumping around. Yeah. I figured. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite bits as well, by the way, or at least one that I don't know we didn't talk about, but I was actually surprised like, oh, this is actually cool is the, uh, is the car chase scene. Oh yeah. No, I think that, I think that's quite cool. Yeah. That was very much a well done shot, uh, a whole sequence of events. I was like, "Holy smokes!" And the, I love the, uh, the the creativity, or at least the the thoughtfulness of like you know, <laughs> I love that Jody's the one that's you know 
uh, taking literally taking shotgun and Michael's the one driving. I'm like, that's that's <laughs> awesome. But I also love the fact how like you know yeah Jody's giving him instructions, but I love how it makes sense. Like I'm gonna blast the hood off his car and then I'm gonna like start taking it to the engine. I'm like, dude, this guy's and I'm gonna like aim at the wheels. Like, dude, this guy is like on it. He's like, yeah, um, slow down so I can like hit him and like, let me get some speed. I, I like that a lot. It was really well done. Like as a chase scene, it's like oh that was really well. Uh, really well shot, especially at night. I didn't even mind mm-hmm. the fact that it was at night. I actually like the fact that it's shot at night. Yeah, and again, I, I like the child empowerment fantasy. You know, he, he's great at fixing up cars, and he has that moment to yeah, drive that beautiful Barracuda. Oh yeah, that's the that's definitely something that you uh, you the, the kids can put themselves into as the audience surrogate. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess yeah. Okay, so definitely does feel like a dream in a way of your your big brother yeah your big brother is always agreeing with you he's he's the one that believes you sometimes your your siblings wouldn't believe you if you showed them something weird mm-hmm. um he's letting you take shot okay this is actually starting to make sense now like he's letting you drive the vehicle he's allowing you to go on this adventure whereas the normal person would be like no you can't do this you can't you shouldn't like you shouldn't put yourself in jeopardy because this would happen it's like, no, this, okay, it's starting to make sense now why it would be a dream. Okay. Yeah, I feel like with the expectation coming in that knowing that kind of reveal, you can go with a lot of the just weirder elements a lot more. Because I could definitely see on a first viewing not knowing how to respond to something like this for some folks. No, maybe this, but I think discussing it with you, thankfully, has maybe turned me on to it, or at least uh, turned me over, excuse me, uh, to liking it a lot more. Uh, I think it's also just a science fiction element. It's like you didn't really need to have that science fiction element in there because this could have been a straight up supernatural film. But obviously, it's Don's film. I'm not going to obviously tell him what to do or or, or what what to do. But uh, is because the supernatural element would work perfectly with like it's all a dream. It's like what the fuck. But again, I guess that's also the thing of like, oh, okay, that's it's part of the dream. So it's like, of course, there's these like science fiction elements. I guess it's also maybe there because the kid has a giant uh, photograph of like the Earth from the moon, hmm. and he also had this. He had he had this. He had the uh, UFOs there. He had a book. I was I couldn't tell what book that is. I, I should have probably looked that one up. But I, I I looked closely at it. I was like something something something. But it probably was like an adventure movie. So it's like okay, maybe there's like you know background information there of like this is where he's getting the science fiction elements from. Yeah, I did look up that book, and yeah, it was a, a sci-fi book with very little information on it. It seems like it, yeah, it was was not a book that really went on beyond this <laughs> this period. I figured. Do you remember what it was called? Um, I I can't remember, and I couldn't see it on my. Unfortunately, my DVD copy was did not have the resolution to make out that it was all a blur. Fair enough. Even even on the four or the two K, but I I could not see what like the font was. I, I was like, mm, what the hell is that saying? Um, yeah, I could read it when I watched it last uh, last night. No, I'm just scrolling through my uh, scrolling through my history to see if I can find the title. Sure. I'll keep talking. talking. No, the, this is star- okay. No, this is starting to make sense. The dream logic air quotes is, is definitely starting to like. Okay, no, I, I can sort of see it now. It's nice. It's all there where the kid is project. Like, there's a lot of things that are coming from his subconscious. Um, if they had like Dune in the background, maybe that's where the whole uh, fear box comes from. Oh, that that'd be interesting. Yeah, if they had the book there. Mm. 
it's maybe in the background somewhere. The the fact that uh, Jody is letting uh, Michael handle guns as well when I'm not saying you couldn't trust a 14 year old or however old he is with with weapons if you you know if they're if they're trained um, and and maybe Jody's or maybe Michael's not a grease monkey but that's his dream to be <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm not throwing him under the bus for that. I, I may, maybe he is. I'm just like going with, uh, maybe he's not. Maybe he is. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's that dream. Like he's working on cars. So it's like, okay, maybe, yeah, this all, yeah, maybe this is all making logical sense. Yeah, as much as it could. As much as it could. Yeah, of course. Excuse me. Yeah, and I was thinking that he had that giant, oh, yeah, even with the, the surface of the moon. Yeah, because I'm looking at that image now too, that giant picture. Yeah, no. Very striking. Yeah, you could see that that would filter into his dreams. Yep. Definitely subconscious. Yeah, take this element of trying to trying to find meaning in the deaths of these people around him, wrapping it up, and also with the death of his brother, if that really happened here, factoring in this kind of bonding thing with them. Because you get the sense in the beginning of the movie that, yeah, he's got this awkward distance with Jody, and Jody's talking about leaving him, abandoning him, and then him factoring all it all into this kind of yeah big adventure for the two of them. And And what if... We don't know when. Oh no! I guess never mind. Never mind. I was going to say, what if the flashback that we saw did happen? So the the flashback of Jody, or uh, they come home. Him and Michael come home, and they start working on the Barracuda. And then his that buddy of his shows up, and he's you know loudly talking like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to go to uh, you know like mm. like take off and and give him to my aunt." Uh, and he's at the fortune teller or the psychic. What if that happens? So the, the the fortune teller is fake, like that's the dream. But the flashback's real. Like that's what happened before Jody went to the road and then died in the car accident. Damn, that's that's maybe my suggestion. Like, what if that's the real thing? Air quotes, real thing, of course. At least by the movie's yeah. logic, <laughs> it could be. Could be. They really, yeah. They don't give us. They don't give us much. They don't give us a look of truth there. But again, that's that's for us to. Uh, pontificate over which that's what i'm doing literally like on the spot yeah and that's and that is the fun of something like this if it was just just obscurity and there there wasn't kind of a what's the word some kind of threads that we can pull on or things that can keep us engaged it could just be vague nonsense that we don't doesn't keep us engaged i've definitely seen some surrealist movies that have that kind of element to them where they're just alienating by how how little i can grasp this one i feel like carries you through well it's got a lot of fun uh, imagery some great imagination that'll even though it doesn't fully make sense at least for me right now um and i don't have a full reading for it i can still just enjoy it for what it is just a fun ride i do wonder if i'm still wondering about like the jawas if those are just like that whole science fiction stuff is from the from his like you know science fiction adventure films or novels that he's reading (laughs) Or if he generally is just thinking of Jawas from Star Wars. Yeah, maybe he's a Star Wars fan. There you go. And they can't obviously... <laughs> well, I, I wonder if they could have... I mean, Star Wars was huge back then, so I assume they could have gotten the license to have like a poster in the background, maybe. But no, obviously not. Um, but I'm... Yeah, no. I'm, and the slavery thing, it's like, I guess that just comes from adventure novels, potentially. Yeah, it could be. could be. And heck, maybe Jody didn't even have a Barracuda. What if that, like, because because that's that's the thing, right? Of like, he has 
it, it's it's again it's child's fantasy of like oh what would my what would my big brother want uh, in a dream? It's like oh a barracuda. Like it's so sexy to look at. It's like why not? So it's like yeah, it's every kid's dream to like have that car, eh? Oh, it's my dream to have right now. Oh yeah, man, freaking spite its gas mileage. It's just like yo, that or the the Smokey and the Bandit. Like fuck, that would be like nice. Anyway, yeah, okay. I don't know where else. I, I'm trying to think of like the the musical part. Uh, I don't know about that. Like maybe he's just was he nearby for that or was he not present for that? I know he's in. It wasn't on screen, but I wonder if he was nearby. No. Maybe that's just him, like reminiscing of when Jody and Reggie were making good times together with music. <laughs> By the way, this is the most detailed dream ever. I don't think I've had a dream like <laughs> this ever. I've had a few dreams in my life that are this detailed, but like, fuck, this thing is like, also, I don't know how long my dreams last, but man, this one lasted a while. Yeah. And there's another movie I'll break out at some point. I won't say much about it, but it also involves a very detailed dream. And it might be my favorite horror film. Um, I'll, I'm not going to tell you what it is. Uh, I'll break it out quite a while from now. I've been holding off because I'd, you know, I'd hate to do it when when I don't feel prepared. And then we fuck it up, <laughs> you know. But one day I've, I'm going to break that out. And yeah, I, I guess I just have a thing for dream kind of horror. I feel like that tapping into that subconscious element just works really well for for that that kind of genre. Uh, maybe as well. Maybe again, I'm wrong on this, but I know I know parents would just throw their kids out of the house and just be like, "Be back by dinner or whatever." Maybe the fact that um, Michael can go around the town, nobody bats an eye, also leads to the whole like dream sense of like his parents would probably want to know where he is. But man, maybe that's the '70s thing where it's like parents were a lot more relaxed and the whole um, latchkey kid thing. Yeah, maybe that that was yeah. the thing. So never mind. And also, like you said before, the, the lack of extras and having to pay for them uh, also helps to kind of isolate them, as you said. Mm. Yeah, and Jody is clearly not paying much attention at all to his to his brother. So uh, maybe that's another thing that was uh, their relationship. Yeah. Oh, but do you feel like we're coming around to the end here? You know what? I accept. Uh, I accept that. I'm perfectly all right with putting a uh bringing this discussion to a close because <laughs> sorry if i just got all pontificating and just thoughtful at the end there i'm just like okay maybe i can sort of see where all this like makes sense hey it doesn't bother me it doesn't bother me no that's 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 true uh so yeah no i'm i'm satisfied right now i uh thank you caleb for this this was this was fun uh i definitely enjoyed this um and it has definitely enhanced my uh, the way I look at this film now. So I'm like, okay, there is it. I came into this looking for, you know, expecting something similar to an Italian horror film. And I didn't get that. But upon talking about it with you, I'm like, oh, hey, now there's, there's substance to this film. I can actually, you know, go back and I will definitely rewatch this one. Oh, I'm curious what the Italian, was it the title? Did you think maybe it was an Italian movie? Oh no. Just like, you know, like I said beforehand, I was kind of, ex- because you were, um, because you had shown me all these like Italian horror films, oh okay. Uh, I, I was like kind of expect. My mind was just going immediately going. I was like, oh, I'm gonna get something as uh, as as kooky and out there as, as one of those okay. films. And it wasn't that, but at the same time, it's all right that it's not, and it's doing its own thing, which I appreciate. Like it, it, this is, has 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 its own identity and uh, goes with the old adage of less is more. Hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I'll I'll say for my final thoughts for this for now uh yeah i've been wanting to show it to you for a long time i'm i'm very happy that you ended up enjoying it 
and I don't go back to it as often as I, I used to. I It used to be one that I would pop in like every two years. Now maybe it's like every four years, something like that. But every time I do, I feel like I enjoy it maybe just a smidge more than my memory was of enjoying it. It just really sets me in a place, sets me in a, a mood. And even though I didn't have a, a similar childhood to uh, Michael, it just makes me call back to that childhood version of myself and think about what I used to think about back then and how I experienced life moving around me. I, especially as a kid, felt always like I was kind of powerless to all the adults around me, and I was just kind of being pulled and having to follow along with them. So, yeah, just it puts me in place. Love the music, especially. I uh, love some of the visuals in there and some of the creative ideas and just the creative spirit overall, I think, is yeah, very charming in this movie and it outweighs the flaws that are inherent in kind of the not fully coherent story and, yeah, some of the budgetary and acting weaknesses. But overall, I love it. But how about you? <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, the I like the look of the. I love that it's like a period piece. Well, it's a period piece. I, I love that it's set in the 70s. I'm, I'm a fan of that. I think you, you and I are both big fans of the 70s nowadays uh, and, and their look. Uh, we, 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 we like that stuff. But uh, for, for a story that does, does pull the rug out from under you, literally, and traps you in that mind shaft. Uh, of like, hey, it's all a dream. I like, I like that this stands out as one of those. It's, it's not Inception, but it's also not Nightmare on Elm Street, or at least a ni- hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. Excuse me. Even though I haven't seen any of those, I gotta give. I'll give uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street. This is that maybe the sequel's got a lot more schlocky. This, when it comes to like how it handled the dream, I think it handled it pretty well. Uh, it was, it, it. I don't know if I trusted it on it, but it, it didn't want to treat its audience like it was. They were stupid. Um, sure, you could be like, what kind of twist is that? But then you start thinking about it. It's like, okay, the signs are sort of there when you, you know, start turning the gears. But yeah, no, I, I, I liked the, how, when any of the supernatural, and I do also just mean like supernatural, as in like, you know, science fiction stuff was in there. I like how minimal it was used. All the stuff was minimally used. Uh, and it, and it kind of focused on, um, Michael's story and maybe with some in like, uh, um, what is it like more subtle stuff with, uh, background, uh, in, not even background information, but just like stuff from, from the background of, of the scenes and the shots that you have to look at that may be symbolic. Uh, yeah, I like, I like that kind of storytelling there. So I, okay. I, I appreciate that stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Just since you mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street. I won't say what, because I don't want to spoil anything for that movie, since you haven't seen it. Yeah, of course. But there's some some things in this movie that are directly copied in Nightmare on Elm Street, extremely blatantly as well. So I'm sure we'll get to that one day. And I guess I guess what I also mean is that like this kind of handled it, I think, with some subtlety, even if it was like it pulled the rug out from under you at the end. But I assume that the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels kind of go a little bit more schlocky of like, oh, it was just a dream, and then it just devolves into just a bunch of, you know, gore and all that stuff. I don't know. It's, that's not fair to the film. Those films. Yeah. No, the the dream is, yeah, it's used very differently. Yeah, in those. That's just uh, the way that Freddy can get to you. I figured. Yeah. But thank you, Isaac, for joining me for this one. I'm I'm always happy to cover a little bit more horror on the, the feed. We don't get to it too often. Oh, there's always so much to do and so many ongoing series. It's tough to fit in random ones every now and again here. So I hope everyone's having a, a lovely Halloween today. And 
hopefully you'll imbibe in some some scary movies of your own and perhaps phantasm if you haven't seen it in a while or never seen it and thanks for spending some time with uh your two pair of buds here me and isaac and uh speaking of isaac do you have any final words for us over there i do uh so those ghouls ghosts goblins and gourds uh, as you, as, as this, how this year's Halloween season comes to a close, uh, as you are listening to us right now with, uh, lots of candy, uh, it's mm. probably going to give you either, uh, the runs, some reputable bowel oh, no. movements, uh, maybe throw up, throwing up the next day, uh, or give you, lead to eventual diabetes. Just know this, was eating all that candy all just a dream and in your head? Mm. Or are we all just a dream right now and you're just dreaming of our podcast happening right now until next time peace Yeah, definitely, uh, schedule-wise, I know this probably wouldn't have happened, but I definitely would have loved to hear what Johnny would have to say about this. I would have loved it, too. Yeah. yeah I know why, but uh, we'll probably show it to him in the future, and we'll ask him about what, how he felt about it. Yeah, and I am hoping that we can get him on for that last of the uh, the full sheet. We haven't forgotten. It's just <laughs> scheduling a conflict, that's all. Yeah, Sean keeps bringing that up every now and again when I try to schedule something. He's like, oh, are you going to schedule that uh, the last of those Fulci uh, movies there? So I know he's itching to get to it, too. I'm happy that he remembers <laughs> that, though. That's that's. I'm really happy that he hasn't uh, forgotten about that yet. But anyway, sorry, that's, that's <laughs> semantics.